You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Good morning, church. I got a good morning mic. Some everybody give me a good morning mic. Wow, this is going to be a good morning. Before we start, just real quick, hasn't it been getting colder and colder, especially at night? So in my, my son's room, there's a crack in the window because we have to run an extension cord to keep the Christmas lights on. My son says to me, he looks right at me, he says, he's dad, it's getting cold. And I look right at him and say, son, Christmas is about Jesus. <laughs> He just turned and walked away. What am I going to say to that? Like, I can't. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to jump into this sermon. Before we do, um, would you mind just bowing your heads? And we're just going to pray. Father, we want to just stop everything in the midst of all of our worlds and the chaos and remember that everything we do is about you. Everything that has been done here today has been thought through for one purpose, to bring you glory. Father, we pray that in this time that your spirit would move among your people and that you would even, you would change me, you would change all of us, however you see fit. Do with us whatever you want here this morning. We pray this in your son's name. Everybody said amen. Let's give an amen. Um, Just real quick about me. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I've worked in the restaurant business for uh, over seven years, somewhere around that. And with my wife, she uh, adds to that. So somewhere around the neighborhood of 11 years, if you add them all together, maybe even 12. We love the restaurant business. Uh, Anybody else worked as a food server? Anybody in the restaurant business? Raise your hands. Don't we all think everyone should have to work in the restaurant business at some point? Absolutely. Yeah, we got some amens. All right. And the reason is because, now this may be you. Let me just help you today. You're never really going to understand what I'm about to say, but you're not really allowed to do this. With it, hey, 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 I need this and I need it, right? You worked in the food store. This is what my dad would do. He does this. He said, excuse me, miss, miss, in the entire restaurant, for everyone to hear, that is not acceptable. Now, I say that, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today at all, except that in the restaurant business, uh, I had gotten promoted to manager at a restaurant called Chili's. Everybody know Chili's? Yeah, go Chili's. And I quickly realized that my two years of high school Spanish weren't going to be enough in some situations. Not all situations, but in some. And in one situation in particular, I'd have a new cook, and I'm trying to teach them something, and I had to go to the head cook. Now, this guy makes more money than I do as a manager. This dude's a rock star. He's from El Salvador. And I say, I need help with some Spanish. I say, look, this is what I need. I don't have the vocabulary to cover all the stuff in the kitchen. I just don't have it. And I say, for example, um, we make uh, homemade ranch, right? And making these big buckets and you need this massive wire whisk. Does anybody know how to say wire whisk in Spanish? Right? Like that's fair that I don't know that. Like that's an okay one. So what I went to, I said, look, this is what I need. I need, I need this thing for this. Simple. So I went to the guy, I explained this to him. He says, okay, this is all you say. I need, necesito, and then he tells me, this thing, una wingadera, and then he says, para esto, and when you get to para esto, you have to demonstrate for this. So I would say to the guy about the wire whisk, I set up the stuff for making the ranch dressing, I grab the bucket, and I have nothing in my hand. I say, necesito una wingadera para esto. 
And he said, oh, I know what you mean. He'd walk over, he grabs the big wire whisk. Come on, oh, good, I didn't know where it was. And we would get to work. Does it make sense? Here's the problem. To anyone in here who knows Spanish, the guy that taught me this phrase, the first part I need was fine. For this was fine. But in the middle, that thing, he taught me. Now, I changed the words because this is church. But he taught me, instead of that thing, I was saying that, insert the worst swear word you can think of, thing. Now, I tell people about Jesus everywhere I go. I have said this phrase, as sure as I'm saying, not knowing what I was saying hundreds and hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Here's my first question to you. Is that wrong? Like, I, come on, I had good motives. There's nothing bad in me. I'm saying, do uno wingadera para esto. I just need the thing for the thing. I'm saying I need that bad word thing. And you're thinking that in church, and you shouldn't be thinking that bad word, all you bad people, just to be clear. <laughs> Hundreds of times, not knowing it. Fast forward two years out of restaurant business. It's Thanksgiving. I'm at my mother-in-law's house, so my sister's husband's mom, she has chosen to not speak English. Now, she could learn it. She's a very smart woman, and, and, but she wants to keep her culture. Someone say, amen, Estella. Like, come on, Grandma Estella. Like, I love it. I love this woman, but it's Thanksgiving, and she has me say the prayer. Pastor Mike, say the prayer. I do the prayer. Now it's time to go to the kitchen and get the food, and she says, will you help me carve the turkey? Of course I can help you carve the turkey, Estella. Get the turkey in within uh, 10 seconds. I realize I need tongs. I need to move the turkey from, don't get ahead of the story. Don't laugh yet because you know it's coming and it's not good. I got to move the turkey from this to the place where I have to carve it. Estella, necesito una wingadera para esto. Estella, four foot nothing, godly woman. I, I, Michael, 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 shaking. Uh, hands me the tongs. I don't really get what that's all about, but what do I need next? I need the knife. I don't want to say knife. But anyway, maybe you know how to, I don't know how to say knife. Estella, necesito una wingadera para esto. Ay, ay, Michael, Michael, Michael. Now, I've been called Michael many times by my mom or dad when I'm in trouble. Michael, I've even had Michael Carl a few times. On rare occasion, Michael Carl Millett. I have never had triple Michaels preceded by an I, I, I with, I can't even look out at anything. Never. I know I'm in trouble, but I don't get it. It's just not clicking. I have no idea. When she doesn't want me to use the knife, she doesn't like how I'm doing it. Part three, <laughs> I need a baster. Anyone here knows about carving the turkey, what do you have to do to the white meat? You have to. You just cut it all up. You have to, Estella, necesito una wingadera para esto. For the third time, I, I, Michael, Michael, Michael. I felt like Peter. Did I just betray Jesus three times? Like, what did I do? Something major has happened, and again, I have no idea. Is that more wrong than the first one? Or maybe I ask, why does it feel more? Does it feel worse with poor little Estella? It feels worse, right? And I think sometimes, even when I'm talking about this, we're looking at intentions and motives and what's happening. And, 
And I think sometimes we ask the wrong questions. And I think that we're asking the wrong questions to life's most important questions. And today we're going to have a Q&A with Jesus. Um, in fact, I, I don't know, Bob, would you mind grabbing, there's a chair right over here. Bob, would you get that for me? Everybody give it up for Bob. <clears throat> so we're going to imagine we invited Jesus. We just called him out. Onto, you can just sit right here in front because he wouldn't be on stage with me because he's too good for that. He wants to be with his people. And then you can face it out because, yeah, this is Q&A with Jesus. So let's just imagine we're bringing Jesus for a Q&A. We got claps for the imaginary Jesus. That was awesome. Okay. <laughs> That's really funny. That did not happen last service. Props to you. Take the glory. Okay. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to see some of the questions that we would ask Jesus. In fact, in ministry, I get asked questions all the time. And, and often I go to these passages and we're going to dig into those. But also Jesus has three questions for us that I think if he were sitting here, he would want to ask. So let's just grab our Bibles and we're going to open up here. We're going to start with Matthew 9, 14 to 17. Then, John, then John's disciples came and asked him. So again, this is the first question to Jesus. This is a group of people. This is a group of disciples that are coming to talk to Jesus um, about this idea and this question. I'm going to reframe it a little bit, but the idea is, what is spirituality? In fact, what is true spirituality? So here are guys that are coming and... They're going to be asking a question of Jesus that gets asked by, if you were to be honest, people around this planet are asking, what is true spirituality? What is spirituality? What is this religion thing? In fact, what they want to do is kind of build themselves this perfect life. And in this perfect life, if you're going to have a perfect world that you have, you're going to have the job, you're going to have the family, you're going to have the whatever, but you have to have a spiritual component. It's almost like we've come to expect it. And here, these people are coming saying, well, what is spirituality? And they're asking Jesus. Jesus says this. How is it that we, or how is it that we, talking about this group, they're asking Jesus, we and the Pharisees fast often, but Jesus, your disciples, they do not fast. So we're doing spirituality a little different than you are. And Jesus answers this question by saying, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. If you hear nothing else from anything I'm going to say, the people who heard that understood right away what he meant, and that is, don't miss Jesus. Jesus is literally saying, I'm here. They don't need to fast. I'm here. I'm right here. It's not about what you think it's about. It's not about, and now he could have gone back to what he already preached in Matthew 6, right? He could have just referenced it. Oh, you guys want to know about fasting? I'll tell you about fasting. Um, well, look back because I said fasting is great, but you don't want to do it like the people who fast that are on the street corner and everyone knows they're fasting. You ever seen that? I'm fasting. I can't eat. I'm withering away, but I'm spiritual. Jesus says, don't fast like that. In fact, no one should know you're fasting. If you need to fast because you feel like you need to get right with Jesus because you've been doing things your way and you need to fast, no one should know. And every time you're hungry, you're supposed to be praying, God, I want to get closer to you. That's what Jesus had taught. He doesn't answer it that way. He says to these people who want spirituality, they want this, this thing. They want to do it right. And they're earnestly trying to do it right. And Jesus is like, you're missing the whole thing thing. It's not about spirituality. Don't miss Jesus. I'm here. 
And, and let me tell you, when people are looking for spirituality and they miss Jesus, they've missed it entirely. Let's uh, fast forward to the next question. How far does forgiveness extend? How far does forgiveness extend? Matthew 18, 21 to 22, this is very familiar. Lord, this is one guy now. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. So here's a guy. He's saying now, this is a little different. This passage, right before this, they've been talking about discipline in church and hey man, people do wrong things and people do awful things and how's the church supposed to handle it? Here, this is a personal guy saying, well, what do I do? What do I do when someone wrongs me? Think of the way you've been wronged the worst right now. This church, think of the way you've been wronged the worst. This guy's coming up and he's saying, how many times do I have to forgive this person? How many times? And he's like, is seven enough? Because one is impossible. Like, believe me, if you heard my story, Mike, like if you told me a story, I'd be like, I'd be like no, don't forgive. <laughs> but Jesus is being asked here as if he was sitting right here, how many times do I have to forgive this person? Is seven enough? Like, how about if I can just do it seven times, get worked again, seven times, get worked again. And what does Jesus say? 77 times in this passage or, or in this version, other versions, 70 times seven, you've heard it said. So the problem with our question, we're asking the wrong question again. We're asking the wrong question. It's not about how many times should you be forgiven. Jesus is saying, what you're really asking is, how good do I have to be? Like, what's good enough? How much forgiveness is enough? And Jesus says, that's your standard? That's not my standard at all. Like, this is a whole new paradigm shift. You think spirituality is supposed to be this thing, and, and it just isn't. It doesn't look that way. It's all about Jesus. And here he's saying, you think it's about doing good enough? He's saying, look, it's 70 times 7. It's impossible. You could never forgive that many times. And in fact, it's so important and so different than the way that we all think. Like, we're asking these questions of Jesus, and he's like, you guys just don't think the way I think. In fact, I know this because there's a whole bunch more that Jesus adds to this story. And we're going to skip to the very end. I'm not even going to tell you the story, tell you the context. We're just going to read this bottom verse. And you read this end verse here, you'll get what's on the line. Matthew 18, 35 says this. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers. There's somebody who got handed over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed which was impossible, never be able to pay it all back. Quote from Jesus, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I mean, eternity is at stake and we're all worried about what's good enough and Jesus, good enough isn't even close. Like that's not even, why we even, that's the wrong question. Last one here that we would like to ask or most people would ask, they ask of me. And this one's my favorite. Now, church, let me just tell you real quick. If you're coming in here and you're like, I don't know anything about this church thing, you might be thinking, I asked that question right now. I'm here because I'm seeking what is spirituality all about. Great. Then that's perfect. That's for you and, and grab onto that. Don't miss Jesus. But for some of you, church, you've heard this. But let me tell you, we've got to take this message out to the world, outside of these walls. So as we continue on this, especially this next one, be thinking about how you could communicate this 
to people you know, because let me tell you, they will ask this question. And this is the question, how does heaven work? Or how do I get to heaven? Like, how's this whole thing about eternal life in heaven? How's it actually work? A guy named Nicodemus is having this dialogue with Jesus over and over. And he keeps kind of asking the same question. And Jesus, when I read it, I feel like he gets a little frustrated with the guy. And he just has to continue being patient and patient. But John 3, 3 through 4 says this. Jesus replies to him. He's asking this question. How's heaven work? Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God or no one can see heaven unless they are born again. Now, this word born again, when we look outside these walls, has become this big bad thing. And it says, uh, well, deal with it. Jesus said it. It's not like someone made it up. Jesus said, unless you were born again. Now, this is confusing for Nicodemus. In fact, as we continue on, Jesus is kind of annoyed with Nicodemus' confusion. He's saying, you're worried about all these earthly things. I'm talking about heavenly things. Anyway, he says this, um, Nicodemus, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So when you, if you were going to tell somebody that's how do you get to heaven? Say, oh, you've got to be born again. They're going to look at you and go, I don't know what that means. So what do most people do? They skip this whole first part of John 3, and they go directly to what? John 3, please, church, when you walk out of here, just trust me, please don't use that verse when you're trying to talk to someone about Jesus. For whatever reason in our world, it's gotten to be this thing that we see on bumper stickers or it's on banners at football games. Start with John 3, 17. And let me show you why. This will tell you, and this will answer this question about how does heaven work. This is... Uh, John 3, 17 through 21. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Church, what is the, the, the people, the folk, the regular gents and, and ladies out there thinking about church? They came to condemn us. Stand up, punch the thing. You're bad, you're awful. We don't like who you are. We don't like what you do. And we don't like what you stand for. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world came to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son, in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Here's the judgment, just like we read before. When the master's going to do the judgment, he's going to send the one to be tortured. Here's the judgment. Here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. Why did they love the darkness? Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Who does evil? All of us. Who hates the light? All of us. They won't come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God, that God is the judge, not this comparison of who's good and who's better. Now, I use this passage, and then in every single memorial service, this is how I follow it up with an illustration or an example. And I love this one because it's so clear. Um, remember when Jesus is hanging on the cross? He has two other dudes next to him, right? There's actually three people. So when you think about the cross, there's Jesus on the cross. There's two other guys with him. Both of those guys belong there. They've done crimes. They know they've done crimes. Like, they belong there. Jesus does not. So as these two guys are here and all the people around, they all, they're making fun of Jesus. We've seen all that before. We've heard those stories. They've been mocking Jesus. These two guys are making fun of Jesus also. Do you remember reading that? 
Do you remember that? Like they're sitting there and they're mocking Jesus until at one point, one of the dudes, from whatever reason, we don't really know, the text doesn't even tell us, but at some point, his eyes were opened and he's all, oh, hold on, stop everything. Surely this is the son of God. Maybe, maybe it's how Jesus is reacting and responding or, or maybe he's seen that he's being made fun of and he just continues to pray for them. Like, what's the moment that this guy's eyes are opened? No one knows and it doesn't even matter because God's the one that does it anyway. And let me just tell you clearly that here's this guy. He's making this thing. He's going, oh, I'm going to say something now. Surely this is the son of God. What does Jesus say to him? How does heaven work? He says to the dude, Hey, you're going to be with me in paradise. Hey, just in a few hours. <laughs> this is baffling to people who don't know Jesus. Baffling. This dude didn't start a nonprofit, right, before he died, right? He didn't go feed the homeless. He didn't stand up and preach a message or sing a song or come to church every Sunday for 17 years. He didn't make sure that his grandkids knew Jesus. Like, nothing. All he did was live a horrible life. But he believed and recognized this is the Son of God. That's it. That's how heaven works. We've got to take this message to the world. So let's jump to uh, Jesus' questions for us. So now this is Jesus' chance to ask us some questions. And it's not exactly put this way, but I believe that Jesus would ask us, who is successful? Who is successful? Mark 8, 34 through 38. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Jesus says, hey guys, hey, let's gather up. I need everybody for this one. This is an everybody talk. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Here's the question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet sacrifice their soul? They gain the whole world. They lose their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, when I throw this one out there, who's successful, this goes in complete opposition to this first question we ask as people. See, we ask... What is spirituality? What is true spirituality? How do I have this perfect little life where I take some, some religion and then I take some work and I take some family and I kind of wish I had this perfect little life? And at the end of my day, that's successful. Now, for some of us, we might say, well, it's not really successful unless you're, you're middle, unless your work is. Or maybe unless your family, like you have great work, but your family, oh. Or maybe this spiritual religion thing, like you just didn't do enough. Jesus says, Whoa, even your question is messed up and flawed. I want to ask you who's successful. Because even if you gain the whole world, the whole world and forfeit your soul. See, Jesus just gets right to it. He gets right to the point and undoes all these ways that we just think as people. Um, for me, this didn't... Uh, 
don't think I ever really came face to face with this idea of what I would call success or even in business or whatever until I'm in the restaurant business and I went to this conference. This was like a training slash awards and it's kind of like the, the next step until you get the big promotion. And these were all the big bosses, the national bosses from all over the, the, the nation. They're going to come and they're going to meet and we're going to go. It's a weekend thing, but the one big night is Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> That's some good eats. I had never been. I've never been since, but I go there. I, we're in line. I don't know how many, a couple hundred of us are there. And for whatever, I end up next to like the huckamuck big head honcho dude. Okay, is that clear as I can be? <laughs> He's my boss's 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 boss. And, and I have no idea who he is. I have no clue. I've never seen him before. We're just talking. I'm being normal me, trying to make him laugh. And he says to me, well, so uh, we get to this weird part where you pick your steak like when you pick the lobster, it kind of makes sense to me. I'm like, I'll take the big one. <laughs> um, but you pick, it's just a weird thing. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what to pick. And he's like, well, do you know anything about wine? I said, nope, I do nothing. And he's like, like he put his armor and he didn't really, but it, well, tonight I'm going to teach you. I ordered nothing. He ordered everything for me. I sat next to him and he's doing all this stuff. Now, I realize now looking back, he's going, this guy is about to get promoted and he knows nothing about good food, <laughs> right? So maybe he's like, someone better teach this idiot. Okay. He did. But now I look at him. But this was like his favorite night. He loved this. Seeing the new people and people are going to become part of the company. And I got a flash into, well, if I stay doing what I'm doing, that's going to be my success. And this isn't for everybody, but you got to remember for me, I'm called to ministry. God makes me be here. And I knew that then. And uh, I thought, you know what? If I don't get out now, knowing who I am, like I'm a messed up dude. I'm, like, I'm going to chase the money. Because I know the next promotion I'm never going to walk away from. Not be able, and so I don't know how long it took men and I. We, within a few months, maybe we had, we had left that job and gone to a different one. Um, and again, that's just me being flawed. Is that fair? Can I just say that? And I came face to face with this idea of what's successful. And I don't think there's many times I've ever thought I've been successful in anything. And I don't even know when I look at this because I know everyone's definition of success is different. But Jesus is very clear. The only way to gain your life is to lose it. And even if you do gain the whole world and you forfeit your soul, what good is it? This comes right back into contradiction with our question of, well, how good is good enough? I lived a pretty good life. I'm pretty good. I get in. Jesus is saying, you're, you're all backwards. It's not about how good and how many levels up you can get and you look all shiny and nice. Let's go to the last question. Sorry, second question that Jesus would ask. Who is good? So on your outline, if you have that, you're writing in who is good. After you write that in, Put a big X through it and then write perfect. It's not who is good. It's not who's good. It's who is perfect. Jesus' next question is one that is um, extremely profound. And I'm about to read it. And even when I do, think about the implication of what this man is saying. And if he's sitting right here and he asked you this question, what would you think? John 8, 46, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? <laughs> okay, if I sat here in this chair and asked that question, could any of you prove me guilty of sin? You're like, hey, Mike, back up like two minutes ago. 
or five minutes ago, or whatever. hey, let's talk about the Thanksgiving story, right? Just back up a little bit. Now, I've been here for whatever, 20 minutes. But here's Jesus saying, examine my whole life. Can any of you find me guilty of any sin? That's a massive question. Now, the people he's talking to don't get what he's saying. We get it that he's saying he's perfect. We get it because none of us would have the audacity in this, in this culture to say we're perfect. But they don't get it. He says to them, I'm telling you the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. Listen to this. Whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. You can't hear that I'm saying I'm God, that I'm perfect, because you don't belong to God. I'm God, I'm telling you I'm perfect, and you don't get it. He goes on and on, and he's so patient and kind of setting these people up. At one point, these people say things like, hey, are we right in saying that you're a Samaritan? You're demon-possessed. And then, then the, 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 all these group of people, they say, who do you think you are? And Jesus is about to tell them who he knows he is. Jesus says this, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Now check, check this out real quick. This is the setup. He's setting them up. Your father Abraham, and these people knew all about, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Jesus talking, your people Jesus had this conversation with Abraham. He rejoiced at seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Hold on, they get this. Now this they understand. You are not yet 50 years old. How old is Jesus here? 30, 31. Anybody want to have them add 50 or 20 years to your life? That's not very nice. Amen. Someone said, come on. I don't care how old you are. You want to add 20. Anyway, um, I digress. <laughs> They're not being nice. They said to him, and you have seen Abraham... They had 20. You're not even 50. You, and you're telling us you've seen Abraham. See how they understand what he's saying? This is the first time he's going to say it again. This is the first time they actually hear what he says. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now again, this, these two words, I am, uh, it's been debated for centuries and centuries, and there are, there are church splits, and there are huge issues among people who love this Bible and, and who want to take apart that word, and they want to dissect it. And when you do dissect it, Jesus is saying, I'm God. And, and, and just in quick, you know, just without diving into it too far, he didn't say before Abraham was born, I was. Do you get that? I was. He could have just said, well, I was back there. No, no, no. He says, I am. In other words, I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere. Right? He's outside of time. Did you like the everywhere dance? That was not planned. That is not in the notes. The everywhere. They finally get it. Now, do they get it because of the two words, the I am? Is that why they understand it all of a sudden? Because he finally said those two words? Yep. And now... Even if we, if we were to stop right here and I just told you the two words, you would have to believe what I'm saying about those two words because I've studied it and I've looked at them and I know as I stand here before you, those two words are solid. Jesus is saying he's God, he's outside of time, like it's insane. 
Just read the next verse. Read the next verse. Read what happens next. The context solves it all. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Listen to what it says. At this, at this statement, they picked up stones to stone him. Why would they do that? Judge and jury, blasphemy. You claim to be God, we can stone you on the spot. And if that wasn't enough, so did the people that he's talking to, did they finally understand he's claiming to be God? Yes, they pick up rocks to stone him. And then, this is funny to me, Jesus does like the magician where he takes a, and smoke comes up, and it literally says Jesus disappeared. <laughs> I love that. I think my, the, my favorite part about that, and the reason I love it the most, is very soon Jesus is going to be buried. And very soon, he's going to disappear from the grave. He was modeling what was coming. Yeah, that's an amen, right? Like, he's modeling for us. And church, why have we cowered and caved to this world out there. Jesus said he's God. He said he's the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Pastors are just saying what Jesus said. Church, why are we ashamed of Jesus? Please, like, we can't cower and cave. Everyone else has it wrong, and I'm sitting here saying it not because of me, but because when you question Jesus, you ask him the three biggest questions, he's going to respond with his three questions, and this last one is a doozy. Final question from Jesus would be this. Who am I to you? Who am I to you? In fact, before I even read it, church, we all... We all get caught up in what does everybody else think about Jesus and do they think he's a prophet or a messiah? Like even back in this day, they're all trying to figure out this Jesus dude. And, and we might even get caught up in this room. Like some of us might disagree, well, no, Jesus was more man or he was more God or any of these theological things that could cause a church to blow up, but not this place because you guys get the single greatest answer to the question that I have, which is why do you call it a personal relationship with Jesus why do you say it's all personal? It's such a weird thing. That's not in the Bible. It is because it's Jesus' biggest question to us. Who am I to you? Let me go to the passage here. Matthew 16, 13 to 16. When Jesus came up to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah. And one of, the, one of them said the, one of the prophets. That crazy dude said he's one of the prophets. They could have gone, right? Talk about these other people. We're talking about being possessed. Then Jesus says, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So folks, um, let me just go back to the um, Thanksgiving story and tell you that four or five thanksgivings later <laughs> don't get ahead yes you know it's coming this time it's my mom my dad my wife our kiddos and my sister her husband kiddos that's it Stella's not there and I'm in the kitchen and I'm trying to teach my boys about the turkey thing and I ask Robert this is Estella's son um, I need the baster necesito una wingadera para esto and he grabs his own, Mike, you shouldn't be saying that. What are you talking about? And now, this is me messed up, dude. I go into like my legal defense of my position. 
right? Let me just, I can say this. Let me tell you why I tell him the whole story. He taught it to me. What I mean is I need that thing for this. He's all, that's not what you're saying. <laughs> he says, Mike, you're saying I need that thing for this. And I just went white. Because in a moment, in a flash, instantly, I became aware of the evil that I have done when I had never thought it was wrong before. And I stopped everything. Thanksgiving stopped. I'm all, you're calling your mom, you're calling her now. We got her on the phone call and I'm telling him, hey, you got to tell her, you got to tell her I'm so sorry. And I'm listening to him say, and I'm saying, oh, I know, lo siento, lo siento, oh my gosh, just tell her, lo siento, please forgive me. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, forgive me. Much like the thief on the cross, much like many of us who have come to grips with who do you say Jesus is? When Jesus asks you, who do you say I am? Our eyes were opened and somehow we were exposed and brought into the light and the bad things we'd done. And even if we thought they were with good motives, they weren't, they were awful. And we know the only thing we have is Jesus. Amen. My last question, church. <clears throat> when are we gonna take this out to the world? Instead of cowering and waiting for the attack to continue to come. People need Jesus now more than ever, let me tell you. They're looking for spirituality. They're trying to find it. They're just trying to add it in, and they're trying to shove it into this whole world thing that they have. And, and Jesus is like, well, who's successful? So what if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? Or, or maybe they're saying, oh, what about how much do I need to forgive? Or how good is good enough? They're asking that question because that's what they say. They say, who's good enough? Ask them how does heaven work? Who gets in? Who doesn't? You know what they're going to say? Well, that person doesn't get in. Why? Oh, they're bad. They're very, very bad. That was my best impersonation of somebody. Like, very, very bad. So if they don't get in, these people do. How about you? See, that's where Jesus' message cuts right through it all. Who do you say that I am? We're all going to stand before Jesus. And I guarantee you, folks, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And then at that point, some of them, the ones who didn't forgive their brothers and sisters from their heart, who didn't get what it was all about, that it's all about Jesus, he's going to say, away from me, I didn't even know who you were. And we're going to sit in here and cower and be afraid of this world out there? We got the answer, the only answer, not because I'm telling you or Pastor Dave tells you, because Jesus has told you and told me. It's time, church. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I just want to quickly pause everything. And for some people in here, um, as your word was being read, people have responded, maybe for the first time, saying, wait, I hear Jesus asking me, who am I to you? And there are people who have responded. Their eyes have been opened. Suddenly, they've seen their deeds in the light and said, oh, man, I need Jesus. I need the Son of the living God who didn't come to condemn me, but to save me. And if that's you sitting here today, just say something like this to God. Just pray to God. Just say, look, I'm broken and messed up, but I get who you are. You are Jesus, Son of the living God. And like that thief on the cross, my life is a mess, and I got nothing to offer you. 
But Jesus, I'll make you my Lord. And if that's you for the first time, that you've ever felt that or said that or prayed that, would you just raise your hand and look up at me? Just make sure that I can see. Just real quick. No one else has to see, but I see right over here. Anybody else in the loft? It's hard for me to see up there. Last chance. Anybody else? Perfect. For the rest of us in here, <clears throat> Jesus, who is your Lord, this is going to be a little bit different. And before I get to it, we're just going to pray again. God, I just want to thank you for what you've done here this morning and how you've called people to yourself. And we're just in awe of how you do that. And yet, I'm always baffled and, and the pure joy of getting to watch people who do respond to you. Father, please bring your spirit to make us stronger and bolder as we go out of here that we will proclaim this truth that you have said, you have proclaimed clearly. You've answered our questions and you've asked some tough ones. And Spirit, we need your power and we need that encouragement from deep within to not cower. With that said, everyone in here who knows Jesus, who gets it, when asked, who am I to you? You say, you are Jesus. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You get it. But you know what, church? We've stopped saying it. And if we can't say it here, we won't say it out there. In fact, if we can't yell it in here, we're not going to whisper it out there. So in just a minute, I'm going to count to three, and this is what I'm going to want you to do. This is a little bit weird, by the way. So if you're new or whatever, just know this does not happen every week, but I just feel it needs to be done. So here's what we're going to do. And I'm going to count to three in just a minute. And you're going to literally confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Because if you don't confess him with your mouth in front of people, Jesus is not going to say in front of his father, hey, don't worry, this is a good one. I know them. We have to stand and confess. And maybe you did do that at your baptism, but today's the day you get a chance to do it again. And do it boldly. This is a safe place to say it. If we can't say it here wholeheartedly, how can we say it out there? So in just a minute, I'm going to count to three, and this is what you're going to say. You're going to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Five words, Jesus, you are my Lord. And let me tell you, folks, first service, they got it. But this service, we're going to rock the building, okay? Jesus, you are my Lord. We're going to stand up at the count of three, and we're going to, we're going to say this together. You can keep your eyes closed or whatever, just don't fall or anything, but... You're going to say, Jesus, you are my Lord, publicly and loudly. You might have your boss sitting next to you, your kids sitting next to you. Hey, kiddos, Jesus asked you, how do you, and who do you say that I am? Not who do your parents say that I am. You don't get in because of the faith of, of them. Jesus asked you. So kiddos, maybe it's your turn to stand up and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Counting to three. One, two, three. Jesus, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.